You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right. So if you will, turn to the worship guide, page nine. We are going to spend this Advent season waiting with the Psalms. Waiting with the Psalms. I think we need to wait with the Psalms. The Psalms are not something that can be taught verse by verse. The Psalms, because they are poetry, because they were the hymnal of Jesus, because the Psalms was Jesus' prayer book, the Psalms have to be experienced. Have you ever thought about that, that the Psalms are Jesus' prayer book? This is exactly what Jesus used to pray. This is what Jesus, this is how Jesus learned to pray. This is how Jesus learned to sing. That's the significance of the Psalms. They give voice between us and God. So we're going to spend our Advent season, maybe even farther into the Psalms. The Advent Psalm this week is Psalm 31. Kathy will lead us in the reading of that Psalm. It's a lengthy reading. So please receive it as a word of the Lord. Kathy. If you will join me with what's in bold. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me for your name's sake. You will flee me from the net. Free, I'm sorry. You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me, for you are my refuge. And to your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul and have not handed me over to the enemy. You have set my feet in a spacious place. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn worn out out from frustration. My whole being as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I am dreaded by my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. I have heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Lord, do not let me be disgraced when I call on you. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be quiet and show. Let lying lips that arrogantly speak against the righteous and proud contempt be silenced. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. In the presence of everyone, you have acted for those who take refuge in you. 
You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from human schemes, from quarrelsome tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me in his city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the sound of my pleading when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful ones. The Lord protects the, the loyal, but fully replay, repays the arrogant. Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Mm -mm. Word of the Lord. Thank you, Kathy. I want to tell you about Amy. Is that a car? It's the black car next to mine. Is it Laura or I think an ant's trying to break into your car? Somebody get the ERT. I want to tell you about Amy. She was a 35-year-old woman living with Down syndrome. Each Sunday, I would take my place in the pew across the aisle, only two rows up from Amy. Often, she could be found smiling in a pew, singing loudly her songs to God. There were times when Amy could be found sitting in her pew with tears streaming down her face, sobbing before God. It was not hard to imagine the reason for Amy's tears. She lived her life mostly misunderstood out of place. The mind of a young child dwelling in her 35-year-old body was sometimes more than Amy could grasp. Life was unfair to her. She did not ask for 47 chromosomes instead of 46. She did not choose for her words to come out slightly slurred and sometimes just hard to understand. She did not want loneliness. She wanted friends. She wanted a boyfriend. She didn't have many friends. She never had a boyfriend. Amy did not ask for the failing health and weakening body that accompanied her Down syndrome, but I knew Amy. And the unfairness of life was openly heavier some days, more than others. And on these Sundays, it was not hard to imagine the reasons for Amy's tears. But I've got to tell you, I don't know exactly why she was sitting there sobbing in her pew. As I remember, Amy I often wondered if she could be reciting her own psalm, her own complaint to God. A psalm much like the psalm we just read. See, it's a complaint. It's a complaint about the experience of deep suffering and the feelings of social aloneness. This psalm is a plea for God to show up and enter into the pain and the confusion that seems to have enveloped the psalmist like the dense fog of a human summer night. Amy would say, be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes waste away from grief. My whole being is well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my ears with groaning. My strength has failed because of my affliction and my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors. I am dreaded by my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I'm forgotten, gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. I've heard the gossip of many terrors on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. See, if that is what Amy is saying, 
There's no denial of her grief and sadness. It's an unconstrained honesty, a candid and genuine appeal to God's throne of mercy. The section of the psalm begins with the plea, Be gracious to me, Lord, and is followed by this long complaint. See, I think the beauty of the psalms is that they give us voice. They give Amy a voice. She sits in her pew weeping before God, waiting for God's response. I think this psalm gives us a voice, society a voice, with its anxiety, division, and at times outrage against anything that threatens our well-being or comfort, our peace or joy as we wait for answers. We live in a moment where, as the psalm says, terror is all around, where grief is consuming. The days are filled with groaning and strength is weakening. We, we feel it in the children abandoned by their parents simply because they're unwanted. We, we feel it in our disappointment with those with whom we entrusted our hearts and vowed to love for all of our lives who one day just decided not to love us back. We feel it in the man who loses his job. We feel it in the 40-year-old woman and mother of three who died from coronavirus. We feel it in the masks on our faces. We feel it in the separation from friends and family during the holidays. We feel it in the over 400 children in the WJCC school system living through homelessness. We feel it in the strain of our comforts and finances as we reach out to find a security, peace. We feel it in the outrage of political discourse and commentary as we seek to blame someone, anyone other than ourselves for the state of our nation. We feel it all around us in many places, in our private and public lives. We feel it in stories like Amy's. See, it's the psalmist's complaint of confusion, anxiety, and grief that speaks to the terror of a society stained by sin and all of its selfish pride, entitlement, idolatry, and rebellion toward the very God that it cries out to for mercy. And we discover that not even one of us, the ones whose lives have been transformed by the proclamation of Advent, not even we are immune from the terror, from the confusion, from the anxiety, from the sighing, from the grief. I mean, just this week, our beloved brother Andrew's mother passed away to complications of COVID. And so this song, like all the songs, can give us a voice. We notice that this psalm, like all the psalms, belong to our world. They belong to Amy. But then as you look more closely at the psalm, this prayer of complaint that Amy cries out to God for a response takes a surprising turn. Hope unexpectedly interrupts the complaint. It's as if the psalmist pauses and waits as he reflects upon a different reality, even while feeling overwhelmed. And it happens in verse 14. Look, he says, but I trust in you, Lord. But I trust in you, Lord. See, there's a shift of the eyes, a, a turn of attention toward a different reality. Something has happened in the complaint while the psalmist waits for God. In the waiting, there's a welling up of hope. Out of the depth of confusion, anxiety, and grief comes an interruption of hope. But I trust in you, Lord. 
Amy says. I say, you are my God. The course of my life is in your power, which is another way of saying it, is in your hands. Deliver me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Show your favor to your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Everybody say faithful love. See, somehow hope boldly interrupts the complaint and puts the complaint in its place. Doesn't deny the terror and the confusion and the anxiety and the grief. It doesn't take away the weight of the unconstrained honesty of a complaint laid out to God. Doesn't take away the pain. It only interrupts the complaint. Calls Amy's attention to a different and greater reality at work in her life and the work in the world. See, as I see it, there are generally two kinds of people. Which one are you going to be? Which one am I going to be? See, there's a, there's a one person who, like the psalmist, carries on through the interruption of hope. This is the one who lives from the interruption of hope and is thrown into the greater reality, one where there is hope for change and restoration, hope for strength to press on. It's the mind deals with the complaint yet shifts the attention toward the God who is faithful in love and holds the psalmist's life, holds Amy's life, holds mine, your life in God's faithful hands. See, like the psalmist, Amy, even in her tears, confusion, anxiety, and grief, recognizes in this moment she's not alone. God is there. God is moving. There is hope. This hope happens when we wait for God by waiting with the psalmist, who too waits for God. See, there's that person. But see, then there's this other person. This person whose life stops at verse 13. This is the person that carries on without the interruption of hope, and the prayer just stops. You're no longer willing to wait for God by waiting with the psalms. You simply just stop waiting. At that point, you're all alone. There's no hope for change or restoration unless you make it happen for yourself. No longer do you own the complaint. Complaint now owns you. See, Advent is an interruption of hope. That's why I think it's so important. Always wanting to interrupt our complaints and our confusion and anxieties and grief. And it doesn't deny the complaint doesn't deny the grief it only invites us to receive everybody say receive receive the interruption of hope once we've given voice to the complaint to the god of advent the god who is always arriving arrival is after all what the word advent means sometimes we must wait but we can wait in hope Advent hope. So when I ask you this morning, as we start wrapping this up, I want you to stop and consider what it means to receive, not take. That's the problem with us. We try to take, to receive the interruption of hope and complaining to a God who is far greater than you and me, yet can be called upon. To receive an interruption of hope, which is to recognize that Advent tells me that my life is not the end-all, be-all. 
and that my grief and anxiety and confusion and whatever terror surrounds me does not have the final word. All that is wrong in society and has inspired my complaint does not dictate my life. It's in so many ways a psalm of surrender, a psalm of repentance. Verse 14, but I trust in you, Lord, which is to say I lay my life in your hands. I say you are my God, which is to say that I know that your agenda may not be my own, but as my God who knows me best and loves me most, I'm going to learn to live into your agenda. So naturally, the psalmist says in verse 15, the course of my life is in your power. Show your favor to your servants. Save me by your faithful love. Once again, say faithful love. See, in God's faithful love, which is to say God's relentless commitment to fulfill the promise that God made to liberate his people. All of this is summed up in one Hebrew word called hesed. Everybody say hesed. That one word is translated in your English Bibles, faithful love or steadfast love or covenant love or covenant loyalty. And it's a psalm. It's a word that is found in the Psalms throughout. And it's a word of hope. It's a word of expectancy. It's a word of deep longing for the expectation of God's fulfillment to the promises that God will arrive, that God will move, that God will answer. And if you work throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, and especially the Psalms, you'll find this word at the center of every waiting, every distress, every misery or desperate state of God's people, and they're crying out for God to act. They call upon God's chesed. They call upon God's faithful love. See, chesed, God's faithful love is connected to God's faithful mercy. God's enduring loving kindness is truth. God's faithful love gives us hope even in the waiting because, and I want you to check this, God's faithful love is not grounded in human emotion. God's faithful love isn't even grounded in your obedience. Come on, is that not free? That's why the psalmist says, I cry out to you because of your faithful love. The psalmist doesn't say, I cry out to you because I do good things. I pray the right prayers. I study the Bible. The psalmist cries out and says, I cry out to you because of your faithful love. Because said is grounded in who God is, embedded deep within God's character, and moves God to do what God said God would do out of God's faithfulness to us. It is God's said that makes Advent a reality in our lives. It is God's said that comforts Joseph, Mary, and the Christ child as they travel under the cover of darkness, as they seek asylum in Egypt. It is God's said that comforts God's people when God reveals to them what Isaiah meant when he said, a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. It's the word that comforted the people of God when they recognized that man-made governments could not fulfill the promises that they make. Only God can do that. It's the word that the worshipers of God appeal to when they recognize that they live in a society filled with unbroken promises. Advent happened 
Advent is happening. Because in Advent, God invites us to receive a move from God, an interruption of hope. So we may say with Amy and with Psalm 31, I may be in distress with my eyes wasting away from grief. And there are people right now, neighbors and friends, whose eyes are wasting away with grief, beloved. But we can come back and say, yes, but a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders. We may say with Amy and the psalmist and our neighbors that indeed our lives are consumed with grief and years with groaning. Strength may be failing because of our affliction and our bones wasting away, but we can remember Advent and our interruption of hope and say, before a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. We may say with Amy and the psalmist and maybe some of our neighbors that we may be ridiculed by all our adversaries and a horror to our neighbors. We may be dreaded by our, our acquaintances where those who see us run from us. We feel forgotten. We feel gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. We may hear the gossip of many and feel the weight of terror on every side, but we remember Advent and our interruption of hope, and we say, yes, but for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. No matter what we feel or see in society, no matter how much anxiety looms or darkness consumes, Advent is happening. God is always arriving, beloved. Stop looking for him in a sermon and in a song and in your preferences of expectation and see him in the baby, in the manger who has come because God keeps his promises. See him and the baby who grew up and loved the unloving, welcomed the unwelcome, stood with the oppressed, received those on the margins, turned over tables of religious political power, and got put on a cross. See him as the God who has come, who is always coming. And it was coming again. So we can pray through Psalm 31, 14. And we can say that I trust in you, Lord. Because for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders in every Advent season. This is why I love Advent. Every Advent we settle into this tradition. Every night my family will light the candle of hope the week of hope, and then follow with the week of hope and peace, and then hope, peace, and joy, and hope, peace, joy, and love. And every night that my son and my wife and I light the candles, we remember the gospel story. I invite you to do the same. Because when we come with a complaint from God, we have to pray through the complaint and say that I trust you. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.